Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Isn't that just flaming typical? I mean, typical. I was down in the Marina Market yesterday for lunch. Packed, absolutely jammed, but it was cold. It was like being there in March. Look out now. Look at that. Honest to God. <laughs> Monday, Don's bright and sunny. 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. That, of course, is where you send your voice notes for us as well if you want to get involved in the conversation. Later on, do you use your mobile phone, your own mobile phone, for work you probably shouldn't you should probably be asking your boss to give you a phone for work rather than using your own one we'll find out why a little bit later if you're selling your house should you wait until it's all ticked off and all signed off before going to buy a new one discuss that one later on and this this question's as old as time itself my answer is if you can great should you be friends or can you be friends with an ex? Are you friends with an ex? Is, is there an ex in your life that is still a good mate? Let us know. Have you managed to do that or, or, or is it totally toxic altogether? So lots to get through this morning. I want to go first, though, to our Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Colm Kelleher, because, uh, Colm, you were very, very angry on Facebook over the weekend. Describe for me, if you could, please, not being a melancholic man, where exactly that lovely building was. Good morning, Colm. 
Good morning, PJ, um, and good morning to your listeners. Yeah, look, the um, the historical reconstructed mill house um, is down the regional park in Balancholic. It'll be close enough to the GA entrance to the regional park. There's it's was or still is adjacent to an upgraded walkway that the council have upgraded and it goes all the way from the end of Balancholic right up to Fionnly, which is the, the back of Balancholic, you know, yeah. um, which eventually will form part of the Leith to Sea Greenway. Um, but, you know, to say that I was irate or angry at the weekend was an understatement, PJ. Um, I live it uh, and, and gobsmacked and actually lost for words when I saw, you know, it breaking on social media, what had happened down there. Um, it's 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 a, a spate of arson, um, and you could call it, I suppose call them attacks, that have been escalating down the regional park for a number of years now, um, and particularly in the last couple of months. Like it started with our public toilet down there, which we had to replace at a substantial cost to the council. Um, it then, you know, progressed to benches, which some of them have been replaced with steel benches to make them fireproof. Mm. Um, alongside the basketball courts and the playground in the regional park. Um, I'm sure you, you've, you would have seen it on social media. I would have seen, yeah. Around four or five weeks ago, um, you know, there was benches and seating um, burnt to a cinder, three of them. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, people who use the regional park were met with that on a Monday morning. Um, you know, and there was one park bench down there that was, you know, damaged beyond repair, although it didn't completely burn, it had to be replaced. And look, credit where credit is due, council in parks, they had it replaced. I think it happened on a Sunday night and by Thursday there was, the, the replacements were in there. But this is a historical building, um, albeit reconstructed, but the, the internal workings of it, like the millstone and the cogs, they're mm. all original. Mm. Um, and, you know, this is our history. PJ, um, and it was it did form part of a you know a beautiful um, you know exhibition centre that the county council yeah. um, you know put in place down there in the early nineties. I'm looking at the photograph you put up on Facebook mm. yourself, Colm, and I, I know the spot. That's just actually the exact geography. I just wanted to get it. Mm. I know where the wheel is, for example. Like it's, yeah. but you know, there's there's a saying out there, isn't there? These days, Asher, this is where we can't have nice things. What's going on? No, I wouldn't say this is why we can't have nice things at all. Like, you know, you you look at the regional park and in particularly the powder mills app, I don't know if you're familiar with it. But I am, it was yeah. done by It was done by a group of locals, you know, kind of a COVID project, you know, you know they when, when they were all within their two kilometres or their five kilometres, they had access to this beautiful amenity we have here in Palancolic. Um, and in fairness to a gentleman by the name of David Has- Haskett and along with other um, you know, locals in the area. They came together and they formed a kind of a subcommittee or a group and they formed this 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 powder mills app and they approached us, the council and the executive and parks, um, and there's no QR codes littered across the, the walkway where you can mm. come up, scan the QR code, get a visual representation of the building, what it was for, what it was used for. Um, and that app only won an award as recently as last week. And this millhouse formed part of that trail and now it's it's burnt to a cinder, you know? Yeah, um, that's what I meant, Colm. I mean, you put all these wonderful things up there, provide for the public. I know how popular the regional park is, and on a couple of occasions I've been there. It's a lovely, lovely place, right? But what I'm saying is, you put these things up, you provide these lovely amenities, and scuds and scumbags arrive along and for want of something to do, just decide to burn it down. Like, what's going on? Completely, and you've hit the nail on it there. You said scuds and scumbags, I'd call it. Gurriers, PJ, to be quite honest with you. You know, it, it is progressing. And where are we going from here? It's gone from toilets to benches, now to an historic building. Parts of that walkway run along the back of people's houses. Is it going to be a case that an accelerant is thrown over a wall and, and God forbid, a house goes up? 
with, with, with someone inside in it. It's 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 absolutely crazy what's going on down there. So what's, um, what's being done fairness, to, to towards fairness, it? In fairness to Ngarda Shiakana, um, look, the, it's, it's a 300-acre site. If you had a, a garrison of soldiers down there, you'd still have access and egress that would be able to, you'd be able to hide from from authorities down there. Um, I've been speaking to the executive over the weekend. I spoke with the Gardaí. There's a, an active investigation underway. There's a CSI, crime scene investigation, we're done over the weekend. Um, all um, cameras and CCTV in the area, now we don't have any in the park, but in the area, are being looked at to see if they can you know, see individuals mm. coming and going to it. But I would be calling, and you know, unfortunately, this is where we are, that we have to look actively look at CCTV footage down there, or CCTV cameras. We had a similar issue in Clashdorf Park with the Christmas trees being burnt. That's right. Um, and, you know, we, we, we had to put cameras in there. Um, now, look, there's people will say there's all GDPR issues and there's this and there's that. It's beyond that now at this stage. Like, the Gardaí, mm. in fairness to them, um, are, you know, trying to tackle an issue in the dead of night on a 300-acre site where something can happen where there's no one around and the only thing that someone notices is when the building's alight and the perpetrators are gone into the dead mm. of the night. Whereas if we had cameras down there, no, we could, we could see them. Like, the guards are, fi- are fighting uh, blindfolded down there, to be yeah. quite honest with you. So we do need to give them the, uh, an aid to see if these perpetrators can be caught. Mm. And what I, would say, what I would say, PJ, is that somewhere either in Ballancolleg or in the uh, surrounding areas, there may be a, an individual, whether it be a boy or a girl or a teenager or an adult, we don't know who the perpetrators were, but they went back to a house on the other night, uh, on Friday night, and maybe woke up sa- uh, Saturday morning and there was a smell of smoke or a smell of accelerant off their clothes. And, you know, someone knows who 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 done this and the Gardaí are actively uh, liaising are following all avenues. But I would say to the people that have done this, that your time is running out. And, you know, you have to be lucky 99% of the time. We only have to be lucky once. You will be found and you will be dragged before a court because this has to stop. Yeah. Now, Kate is making the point, isn't this the proof that we need rangers? But at the time of night this happened, you wouldn't have had a ranger around. No, you wouldn't. And we had park rangers during COVID, PJ. Um, you know, and in fairness, you know, like they were enforcing the two metre social distancing rule and all that kind of uh, crack that went with, with with the pandemic. But, you know, like this kind of harps back to a policing issue across the city completely. Um, obviously, the Garda Shia I'd like to commend them for the work they're doing across the city and the county. And I'd like to commend the fire services for, you know, their prompt res- um, response on the night. But the cold truth of it, PJ, is we do not have enough guards in Cork. Not mind Ballancolic. Well, 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 we just don't. Here you know? on the opinion line, only a number of weeks ago, uh, Padre Harrington from the GRA was saying exactly that. He reckons on his by his own calculation we're about a hundred guards short in Cork. Now, now that figure is very, very stark. Uh, you have a JPC meeting, a Joint Policing Committee this afternoon. You're going to be we discussing this. We we do have a joint policing committee this afternoon and I wear two hats, not only a Lord Mayor, but I'm also chairman of Cork City's Joint Policing Committee. And I will be liaising with the guards, with senior management in the city. This isn't their fault. This is a fault of Garner headquarters in Dublin. When the allocations are coming out, I know there was 102 guards passed out from Templemore recently and we got about 20 to the city and that was a very welcome allocation. Yes. We got one in Balancolic out of that 20. 
you know, um, like in, in fairness for the size of the town and the population that we have, you compare it with the allocation that went to Carrigaline. Um, no, badly needed down in Carrigaline as well. I'm not saying, you know, Carrigaline shouldn't get them at all, but we need more of our fair share coming out of Templemore because, you know, like we, we got, let's say, 20% of what was turned out in Templemore. The, the majority of it went to the border counties and went to Dublin. Mm. I know they have their issues up there as well, mm. but it can't be, you know, there you go now and we'll wait until the next round of recruit classes come come okay. out. Um, like, look, PJ, it's, it, it's, it's across the city. We do need more guards. The guards that are there are doing an excellent job. Mm -hmm. Senior management in the city are doing the best with the resources they have. It's not their fault. No. It's senior management above Indeed. in Dublin. We need more guards. Now, there's an open invitation to the Garda Commissioner uh, to attend the JPC meeting. He won't be attending today. It's our last virtual one. We'll go back to in-person meetings. I'm looking forward to that on account of it's our last virtual one on account of COVID. Um, it's just the way it panned out. But there's an open invitation to uh, the Garda Commissioner to attend a JPC meeting. I would be hoping he would take that invitation up before the end of the year. And this is an issue that I will be raising today at JPC. And other than that, I will be writing to the Garda Commissioner in relation yeah. to this. Um, and when he comes before the JPC, which he will come before the JPC because he travels all around the country to visit the very local authorities, JPCs. This is a quest question I'll be asking him straight to his face. Okay. You know, we need we need more Gardaí okay. in the city and in particularly in Balancolic. I've spoken with all the ward councillors this morning in the area. We're all of kind of the collective same opinion. This isn't going to be someone goes off on a political solo run. We need a collective community effort from everyone okay. to get on board here. I'm going to speak with the executive this morning when I go to City Hall to open up, you know, the, the exploratory talks in relation to getting the CCTV footage okay. down there. There is issues nationally with GDPR, but I believe they can be overcome. Okay, like you said, have to get to the bottom of this and get someone before the court and do it quickly. You're coming up to okay. your last your last few days in office, and we'll talk more when that comes around. But you've enjoyed things, I think. I did. I've, I've had a great year, PJ. Thank you very much. Uh, um, yes, we the AGM is Friday, uh, so we'll have a new Lord Mayor elected Friday night. All right, we'll talk more uh, be, before then. Thank you very much, Councillor Colum Kelleher, um, Ballancolic Man and Lord Mayor of Cork. 0818 96 96 96. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Summertime in Cork means gigs, festivals, and I've got free tickets. Ooh. The hottest tickets in town, they are yours. Well done. Thank you. I'm sitting down with the celebs and having random conversations like Hosier. What's your favourite chocolate bar? I was asked a question, what's your favourite Irish snack? Yeah. And I said, it's a snack called snack. <laughs> <laughs> and these guys, they're here too. Ed Sheeran here. This is Adele. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. Let me show you it's all about Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. on Courts 96 FM. You might have seen recently where they're thinking about putting up some modular housing for Ukrainian refugees. And if you know what modular housing is, you'd ask yourself the very simple question why have we not been using it to solve our existing housing crisis? Because modular homes is exactly that plonk, 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 build, build, build. They go up really quickly. And Carl Dieter, you, you've been pushing the idea that we should actually be doing an awful lot more with them to solve not just the Ukrainian issue, but our own housing issues. Good morning. Good morning, how are you? Uh, and short version is yes. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not exactly a proponent of modular housing. Specifically, I am a proponent of getting our housing market right and having sufficient yeah. supply for everybody who needs it. Yeah. Modular housing happens to be one way of doing that. It can be done rather quickly. Now, it still has to be built somewhere. 
but if you have, say, for instance, a certain amount of uniformity and it's being done and, and, and delivered and put together quite quickly, you can actually create some wonderful houses and also do it fast. Like uh, if you have a plot of service land, have... you can plunk houses on, you can put modular houses on that if it's reasonably serviced, you can put them on more, more quickly than bricks and mortar. Yeah, well, uh, but that's what you said first is actually where a lot of the constraints happen. So, for instance, getting a service site, making sure that the things are there that need to be there, that will still take the same amount of time it always took. But certainly, if you wanted to, to say, look, are there other things we can be doing to try and accelerate our progress through dealing with the housing crisis? Modular homes has to be part of it. So the the, the article that, that prompted this interview was because I was saying, you know, we should look at this. And a lot of people were saying, no, this is disgraceful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, they're not going to be up to scratch, etc. I'm just making the point. They absolutely are up to scratch. You know, millions of people in the world live in modular homes and they're doing just fine. Yeah, I, I was only wandering around a place recently, Carol, with the wife to the garden centre and out the back they've got one of these places that sell these sort of pre-built apartments where literally you can build a two-bedroom apartment on a small site, fully serviced, insulated. Looks absolutely fantastic. And I'm thinking to myself, if, if we went away and bought... If the state bought thousands of those, first of all, you get a ferocious discount and you'd solve a huge problem in, in, in a short space of time. Yeah, where to put them would be the next question, though, yeah. and what to connect them to in terms of services. So like I said, a lot of the bottlenecks that we have, they're still going to be there. But but just this view that modular housing somehow isn't up to scratch, it, it's it's quite pervasive mm. as if it's like you're putting people in porta cabins. And Everybody in, in the public needs to know that's just not the case. Modular homes can be absolutely top notch, top notch and top quality. And, you know, this, this kind of building has been going on for a very long time mm. in many other parts of the world, in many parts of Scandinavia, the USA, you know, places that aren't associated with having, you know, terrible building standards. So it's just, it's really, it's really vital that that message isn't lost. Modular is just a way of building, as is timber frame, as is mm -hmm. brick and mortar. You know, but we're constantly pushing out this view in Ireland that if it's not built with, you know, blocks and cement, that it's that it's inferior. You know, those methods are good and, and they do stand the test of time. We've got homes that are sitting around since, you know, the seventeen hundreds and they're as good today as they were then. Nobody's denying that. But there are alternatives and there are other things you can do. And if a house doesn't last 200 years, that's not the end of the world. The average Japanese house, I think, only lasts about 40 to 50 years, and then they rip it down and start again. I'm, I'm not saying that that's ideal either. It's just that there are parts of the world where houses are built, and they don't last for 300 years. If you have to get through a housing crisis, it doesn't mean you have it into the next you know, 200 years into the future. You're trying to deal with something fast. So if something gets you through 100 years, and it, it's it's done quicker today. Surely that's a good thing, no? And and the shortage of land, service land, will always be an issue until you sort that one out. How do we sort that one out? Uh, well, I I'd love to say I have all the answers to everything. Yeah. I don't. Uh, and and on that one, it's it's difficult because, like, we have loads of land, so there's no actual land shortage. Service land, though, means that typically you have to have things like sewage, and we already have massive issues with dealing with sewage in this country, you know, we are regularly fined by the European Union for, for pumping uh, sewage into places it shouldn't be. So, like, we have a lot of infrastructure we have to build around that. Like, everybody, nobody likes water charges, but we all like the fact that we can flush our toilet and the poo goes away from you and not back into your house. Like, there's, there's, there's a lot of financial considerations, infrastructural implications, 
stuff like electricity you can get to anywhere and we've proven that in this country many mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. things like roads we have more roads per head of population than almost anywhere else in the world so like we're good at all that stuff it's it's the it's the the actual the things like water services then that mm-hmm. we struggle with but as well as that people won't be near things like hospitals and schools etc so yeah. I think about that too. Yeah, it's the it's they are always going to be there. Those problems, uh, Carl. I know you're going to need to go to so let you go there. Thank you very much, Carl Dieter. Just that point on modular housing, though. And there are a couple of places that if you go to, um, and I don't know the name of it, so forgive me. But Joe Hanley's outside there. They've got that brilliant um, garden centre up behind it. I think their garden centre up behind that. There, there's a a place that does those modular. Buildings, and there's another one down near Fota in one of the garden centres there. And sometimes they're on display, sometimes they're not. But these little one and two bedroom, they're like they actually are a little one or two bedroom apartment that you could just put on a piece of land, service it with lecky and water and plumbing and sewage, and away you go. And you buy one of these things for, I'm off the top of my head, I'm thinking forty grand. You'd buy them, and they come fully serviced and fully fitted, and the whole thing, right? So if the state, and this is my idea, if the state were to buy thousands of them, first of all, you'd get a whopper of a discount. Whopper of a discount. Surely you would. And then you just have to find land for them. Would you live in a modular house? I'm sure people would prefer a modular house to a hotel room. I'm sure people would prefer a modular house to some ramshackled kip falling down around them and riddled with rats. Anywhere in the city. I'm sure people would prefer a modular house to some damp, smelly basement that's cold all the time. Would you live in a modular house? I'm thinking of a small, self-contained, one, two-bedroom apartment. Or they could build them bigger. That literally comes, plonk, knock it up in a month, and off you go. If we had the service land to put them up. Would you live in a modular house? If the state were providing them? Because... We need to do something. We absolutely have to do something. 0818 96 96 96. There's a horse and cart. Thanks for this. There's a horse and cart on the N71 going from Bishopstown towards the city into very busy traffic. Be careful. All right? Yeah, modular houses. Small. I mean, you're talking maybe, think of your average small apartment. Maybe one or two bedrooms. And it's it's kind of built... There, it all arrives and goes. I personally, if I was stuck for a place to live and someone offered me one of these things, yeah, I would. Think I would anyway. 0818 96 96 96. I stayed in a wooden house in Sweden, says this call. So cosy. It was just gorgeous. Wouldn't cost much to put something like that up. And I really think they could do it here. Well, caller, we did a little bit of work at Coogan Towers uh, the last year or two. In 2020 we did, and it was timber frame. And when we were talking about doing it, we looked at timber frame as an option. And I tell you something, the cost of it was very manageable, but the speed of it, the speed of which it went from a plan on a bit of paper to actually being something you could walk into and say, hey, this is great. Never saw the like of it. 0818 96 96 96. It was some very strange tidal activity in West Cork at the weekend. I saw a video on, I think it was Cork Bureau watched it on, where literally the tide came in and came out four or five times in the space of an hour and a half. Like, whoosh, 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 in and out. Really, really weird. 
Look at that next. 0818-969696. The Cork Diary. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now, like I said, yeah, there was a video going around. I saw it uh, last night on, on Cork Bio. Some very weird tidal behaviour where the tide seemed to, anyway, go in and out four or five times in an hour and a half. The, the video I saw was from, from Union Hall. And, and literally the harbour just drained and refilled a couple of times in, in the space of, of an hour or two. Very, very strange. Adrian, I hope you have the name, Adrian Novtinky from Irish Deep Sea Charter. Hi, Adrian, good morning. Hi, PJ, how are you doing? Do we know what happened? Because it looked weird. Um, I don't really. <laughs> um, I have sent the information to the Marine Institute and they're going to look into it because they're... Um, the graphs show show the spike and the fluctuations on as the tide starts come back in, but um, as for what caused them, that I don't know. Yeah, were you there? Could you see it? Because on the on the video, it looked like as if it was just coming in and coming out, like at twice the normal speed it does. Uh, yeah, I had just pulled up my mooring um, and tied the boat up. I was about to step off into the dinghy, and uh, yeah, it it was slack water, so there was no movement going on. And I noticed it starting to flow and flow faster and faster. And at that point, I started to uh, make a little video of it just to, I was going to show my dad. And uh, it started getting so fast, I rang him and said, I don't know what's going on here. This is, I've never seen anything like it. Um, So by the time I got off the phone again, I took the second video and it was just, it was kind of had drained and was starting to pile up and come back. Mm. Um, So it seemed to be about, I would say a meter high. It doesn't. I wouldn't say a face of a wave, but you could see the level change in the water, okay. and it just came up behind the boat, picked the boat back up, swung it around, and it started breaking up across the mud like a tidal bore would, say on the Severn River or whatever like that, um, which in Union Hall is not normal. Yeah, you said parts of the bay almost completely dried out. Parts that never dry out. Yeah, I mean, I had mud almost right up to the front of my boat, which is normally at least four feet deep on the shallowest of tides. Um, But my boat was sitting on the mud. Um, You can actually see in the video it's slightly leaning over um, because the water was kind of almost gone from under it. Yeah, there's there's some people were talking about uh, a small earthquake reported off Portugal. At half past two on Saturday morning, and wondering could it have been sort of a a small shock wave that travelled up from there to cause a mini tsunami. It seems a bit weird, though. It does, and it it was my initial thought, but I thought we were going to hear suddenly about a big earthquake somewhere, you know, say even there, but a very large one where it's quite small. Now, the only thing that struck me as particularly odd is that it happened at low tide. I mean, low slack water was supposed to be. Uh, quarter to four at Cove, and this happened at, I rang Dad at 3.38. So it was right on low water. Um, but whether it was to do with, uh, you know, atmospheric conditions like low high-pressure systems, but 
the only thing that's very odd is nothing was particularly big. The tides, they were big, but they were we were a few days after springs. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a particularly strong north wind. It wasn't particularly low or high pressure. Um, whatever, you know, if it was a, an extreme of something, I would have thought more of it. But um, just the way it went from still water to emptying and... You know, I, I watched it until about 5 p.m. on the bridge, and it was still surging in and out about a metre of a range at that point. This is the bridge now that goes across to Union Hall, that one day. Yeah, right. yeah. I Once I eventually got off the boat, <laughs> I drove to the bridge, and uh, I stayed there for a little while because it was flowing in like a river, flowing right. back out like a river, right. and just kept turning. How many times um, you so was, did that? Was it some some? Um, I had seen it. I reckon about five times total. I watched it um, before I left. So it happened once on the boat. Uh, after I got off my boat, I rowed pretty quickly ashore. But I stopped to talk to a couple of guys on a sailing boat that had just run aground about it. And as I left them to row back to the beach, it started flowing out really powerfully again. So I um, I quickly got ashore pulled my dinghy just out of the water and by the time they had got over to me, which they did with their outboard and rowing um, together to try and make it back against this, my dinghy was halfway up the beach, dried out. Right. Um, and then we watched it come back in a little bit from there and that was the second one and then I drove up to the bridge and I watched it do that three more times. Wow. Um, less extreme on each one. The first one was definitely the most extreme. Right. Right. Yes, mad. Hopefully, um, hopefully somebody knows what it was and, and can explain it. But you've described it really well. Thanks very much, Adrian. That's Adrian Nightinky from Irish Deep Sea Charter. He's a tour guide with them. And if you were down in that part of the world, like if you were up, I imagine, up in Glandore now, looking down from there, you know, opposite the pubs in Glandore, people come over to bring their pint and their sandwich or whatever and look down into the harbour. You'd have seen it. But it... <sighs> The, the video, I mean, I can't imagine what must like up close. The videos were fabulous. Thanks, Adrian, for that. 0818969696. Just on Ballancolig. No use getting any more guards for Ballancolig. We have a new guard station, and no matter what time you call, it's closed. You have to go to Toker, says Nora. That's kind of probably because they haven't got guards there, Nora. But good point. Ask Colin Keller, what did he think of the behaviour of the Yobs attending Friday night's shenanigans down the marquee? With all the antisocial behaviour going on, says Joe. That's there was the dead mouse gig was on at the Marquee Friday night. I didn't hear a whole pile of complaints myself. But um what was that about, Joe? The only ones that have anything to fear from CCTV, says Craig, are people with something to hide. And uh, then Tim says, Why don't councillors approve of a tw- approve a twenty five thousand euro from ward funds as a reward? to catch the melancholic arsonists. The talking's been going on for decades. It's time to change strategy. We've also, we got this Cork safety alerts. We're doing this last night or last evening on their socials. We got a number of videos and pictures this morning of an incident on Wellington Road. Did anybody see that or come across it? It would appear from what we've been sent, uh, video-wise that and picture-wise, some something was happening. There was furniture, bits of furniture being thrown out of an upstairs window along Wellington Road, down into the street. And there was people gathered around outside, just hoping nobody was injured. We don't think so. 
but it would be interesting to know what was going on. But that's what it seemed to be late yesterday afternoon. Um, the picture I saw from Cork Safety Alert, there was a, a guard, a car in, in place and what looked like a load of broken bits and pieces on the floor. I couldn't zoom in tight enough to see what it was, but it seems to have been broken furniture. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Magella Galvin is an estate agent in West Cork. She was on the show before. There's a problem developing, Magella, with people selling their house and then pulling out at the last minute because they can't get another house. And it was a big problem in Dublin for a while, but I think it's spreading to Cork now. You've come across it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yes, I suppose that is one of the issues in the current market. Um, we all know it's a seller's market. It's a great time to sell your property, but the reality is a seller is also a buyer. Yes. So I think there is a lot of people sitting in the fence. There is homeowners out there who who want to move home, who want to get on with their lives, but at the same time, they're worried if they put their property in the market, there's a lack of alternative accommodation out there where do they go? Yeah, because you, you you put the house up and you get a price and there's a few people interested. Like you said, it's a good time to be selling, but then you've got to try and find something. Yes. And that proves more yes. difficult. Yes, and I think uh, um, one of the issues at the moment is what a lot of people are, I've spoke to a lot of homeowners, homeowners at, um, lately and they're just thinking, we'll wait until we find something. Yeah. And that's a bigger problem, PJ, because if you wait until you find something, so imagine you're looking on the internet, you find your dream home, you make an appointment to see it, and you want to put in an offer. Yes. So the estate agents um, has a duty to ask, what position are you in? In other words, are you mortgage approved? Is it subject to the sale of your own property? And if you say, yes, I need to sell my own property, it's not on the market yet, well, then you're not going to be regarded as a hot buyer. So in a competitive market, you know, it's it's not a good position to be in as a buyer. Yeah, yeah. Is this normal when it becomes a seller's market, Magella? Like, has this happened before? Yes, it would be, you know, all, you know, you'd always go for the cash buyer first or the, the buyer who mortgage approved who's ready to go mm. rather than getting into a chain and it, like it's it's a risk for the seller if they get into a chain and wait for the sale of your own property. If something goes on with your property, say for example, the sale of it, that their sale is at risk as well. Yeah, I remember moving house myself in, in 2004 and, and doing everything in our power to avoid chains because you just end up yes. on big bridging and you're holding out for money to drop here and money to move there. It's a pain in the neck, like, if you can possibly avoid it. It is, absolutely. And that's why, I suppose, we, we're in a good market now and sellers are obviously clients. We have to protect, as agents, we have to protect our clients yeah. and get a buyer who's in the best possible position. Like, is a good is a good property, Magella, is a good property that's not complicated by chains and stuff? Are they selling quickly now? Very quickly, really? very quickly. And, very and our quickly. price is going yes. up? Yes, don't. We just don't have enough of stock of them, um, PJ, is, is the biggest issue. Right, okay. Uh, 
Just one last thing before I let you go. We've heard now this again. It's it's mainly a Dublin problem, but um, because their market is bananas altogether. Working from home as a tenant can that be problematic? I've heard I've heard that is um, a little issue up in Dublin, but really on the surface, it's not what it seems. So down here, we we were we haven't experienced that issue, and I think even in the Dublin market, um, there was investigations done. And really, it's more for, I think, in room shares, like if you had a therapist and they were sharing a house with somebody and they were bringing in clients. Right. That would be kind of seen as commercial business. But if you're just sitting at home, you know, working your laptop, not bringing anyone in or out, it's not an issue. Right. That's that 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 kind of clears that one up because you kind of wonder what what landlord would what landlord would cause trouble for you if you were just using the the box bedroom as, as an office. Where the problem might lie. Yes. Yeah. As I say, it depends on the activity. Like the home would be let um, as res- for residential purposes. So you couldn't be carrying out commercial activity there. Gotcha. But there, you know, most landlords have no problem with people working at home once they're not bringing people to the home as clients. Gotcha. Oh, by the way, congratulations to two awards at the Network West Cork Awards. Well done, you. Thank you very much, PJ. Thank you. Well done. Congratulations. Magella Galvin, she's an estate agent based in West Cork. Seller's market at the moment. But making sure you've got something to buy before you sell. And you don't kind of know what to advise people, do you? 0818 96 96 96. On modular housing, this has just come in on a voice note. I'd be more than happy, PJ. To uh, to live in a modular house than living in my parents' bedroom where I'm stuck for the last, what, seven years now because I had to move home wow. and I can't get out because I can't afford to go out. Yeah, there you go. There's a bit of call. That a lot, I think a lot of people would like to go into a modular home if they could get built and get built quickly and they'd probably be much cheaper. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, where do we go with that one? Oh, yes. Um, Eugene. Ah, before ju- dawn on June 21st. All of the, Eugene, thank you. All of the planets will be visible in the sky. All but Uranus and Neptune will be visible to the naked eye. That's an interesting one. So it, that's it. I, I take it this is kind of what they call. What do they call it? Morning civil twilight. Just before the dawn breaks, just before the sun comes up, you'll be able to see the reflection of all the planets in the sky. Bar, Uranus and Neptune. Thanks, Eugene. Of course, tomorrow, 21st June, longest day of the year. That's what I refer it to. Midsummer's Day is just what people call it, but it's not. Because it's not the middle of summer. And I know Eugene will be cross with me for that, but it isn't. 0818969696. Now here we go. I was doing antigen tests all weekend and they were all negative. But I had symptoms. So I went for a PCR test and I've just gotten a positive result. I wanted to let listeners know if they have symptoms, they might be better off going for a PCR test rather than just relying on an antigen. Well, originally were we not told. I'm racking my brains here a little bit. Were we not told 
that it's better for you to be doing antigens when you don't have symptoms. That they can be less accurate if you have symptoms of anything. That's what I think we were told. But that's just worth watching. 0818969696. PJ, I put my house on the market. I was told by the auctioneer to rent while they sold my house. Then when I sell, go buy a new house. Like, I'm not taking that chance. That is from Cher. 0818969696. No, Fiona, I didn't read that message on Friday. In case you want to do it now or you want to read it or whatever. You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Festival season is here, and this week on the show, I want to get you to one of the biggest festivals in the country, Independence in Mitchellstown. I've got a pair of weekend camping tickets to give away every day, and you could be heading along if you can crack the indie mix. I'll tell you more weekdays from four. The big drive home on Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, that cost of living March Saturday seemed to have a good turnout. We got various different reports of maybe a thousand or more people downtown on Saturday afternoon for that cost of living protest. Listening to the Taoiseach and other government people at the weekend kind of saying, yeah, we'll do something. We're putting together a cost of living budget and when the budget comes around in October, we'll take account of what people are going through and we'll do the best. And that's all grand. That's all absolutely fine. But right now is when people are struggling um, and there are people out there who cannot hold out till October. Um, I heard an idea being touted in one of this morning's newspapers that they are looking at doing away with car tax. Uh, it's, there's a lot of agreement around the cabinet table that car tax could be suspended for, for a wee while to ease the pressure on motorists. And that's fine, but don't just talk about it. If you're going to do it, flipping do it. Um, And Kevin was saying that he caught himself this morning on the way in to work uh, a petrol 214 and he thought, oh, that's not bad. And he stopped himself. That's actually horrific. Horrific. And there's this Stephen Kinsler, this economist from UL, was talking earlier on this morning about a fuel escalator and other such adjustments that the government could and should make. Kevin is making the point, look, the dollar will be rising for the summer recess very, very soon. So if they don't do something now, we're stuck with it until September. With the way fuel prices are going, people can't sustain that. Uh, but if, if you were at that event on, on Saturday, what did you think of it? Or what do you think of this idea that the government says, look, we will do something. We promise you we'll do something. But not until budget day. Can you hold out until budget day? I've said before, we're lucky in my house. We've got two good salaries coming in. We're, we, we can sustain what's going on. But we're also aware of... Hundreds of people that simply can't. They just simply can't. 0818 96 96 96. Also in the news there at 10 o'clock was this new report by the Economic and Social Research Institute into uh, youth mental health in the pandemic. And this is something that we heard so much of during the heavy duty, the real heavy months, the really 
darkest moments of the pandemic when we had lockdowns and we couldn't go out and the pubs were closed, the shops were closed and we were literally at one point ordered to stay at home. And the one thing that kept coming up was mental health of young people. Uh, They've done work now at the Economic and Social Research Institute. Dr. Anne Nolan joins me uh, to talk about it. Dr. Nolan, good morning and thank you for taking our call. And the evidence is there. Youth mental health was affected by by the pandemic. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Yes, uh, that's right. Um, We're launching a report today which is based on the Growing Up in Ireland study. Um, So what we're focusing on today is um, young adults that were 22 years of age um, in 2020. Um, So if you think back to when, you know, when I was 22, when you were 22, you know, this is a really um, period of your life when lots of change is happening. You know, you might be moving from education into work. You might be moving out of the family home starting relationships so you know it's a really important period in people's lives um but unfortunately in 2020 we had you know major global upheaval uh, and that's reflected in the figures that we're reporting today around depression so um for young women and um, their rates of depression increased from about 40 percent before the pandemic to over 55 percent uh, in december 2020 and there were similar increases for, for men, um, but slightly less um, overall. So about a third of them were, were depressed in December 2020. So really, you know, concerning uh, and very sobering findings here. You make the point uh, in the summary in your report that physically COVID was less harmful to the young, but mentally the pandemic has been very, very harmful. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, we all know, obviously, that the sort of the the health effects of the pandemic, the physical health effects of the pandemic, you know, are are really sort of the risk of, you know, serious illness and death is concentrated in older age groups. But as I mentioned before, you you know, young people, they're moving out of the family home, they're starting relationships, they're they're moving into the world of work. Uh, Their friends are much more important, you know, than let's say younger children uh, would be. So, you know, also all of those the protections that were put in place to protect public health during the pandemic. Ironically, you know, these are the things that are really valued by young people. You know, meeting your friends, going out, and uh, maybe travelling. You know, seeing the world. All of those things were put on hold, um, and we can see the effects then coming through in terms of their well-being. And thousands of them lost their jobs. And you make the point that it was the closure of construction for weeks and maybe months on end led to thousands of skilled young people with with no work. Yeah, so about, like, in, at this age group, about half of them were working. Um, now, some of them were combining work with study, so, you know, they had part-time jobs while they were studying. But about half of the young people who were working lost their jobs, and this is much higher than in other age groups. Um, and you mentioned there the sort of skilled occupation, so young people that were involved in skilled occupations and um, they were much more likely to, to lose their jobs. So we think, you know, we didn't actually, you know, ask people what exact job they were doing, but we suspect that this was because of the closure of the construction sector in the sort of early months of the pandemic. Um, so, you know, there were really sort of significant uh, impacts on, on work um, for this age group. And, and that's really important because, um, you know, when young people, let's say, enter uh, the workforce um, during recessions or if they have periods of unemployment in their early careers, these can be really damaging and they can have much longer lasting effects, you know, right into their 30s, 40s and 50s. And these effects still persist. Um, so, you know, really concerning, I think, that these young people were exposed to that labour market shock so early in their careers. Mm. So, 
from these findings now would come, I assume, recommendations. What would they be? Yeah, so um, I suppose there's there's recommendations and sort of implications across a number of different um, dimensions. So I suppose one um, uh, is in relation to the world of work. So, you know, I mentioned there in, in relation to the, the levels of job loss. So I think there's a, you know, there's a real need and we've been calling for this as part of the report to really invest in sort of education, further education and retraining of young people. So, you know, there may be certain sectors um, that are still depressed as a result of the pandemic that people may have trained for, you know, so there's a, I suppose there's a need for further retraining. But then more broadly, you know, about two thirds of these young people um, were in some form of, you know, further or higher education. um, And they really experienced a lot of disruption as well. So um, right through the pandemic, most of them were doing most of their learning online. and there's, you know, there's quite concerning findings in relation to, for example, access to broadband or quiet place to study or really having difficulties in, in studying and learning. So I think there's, you know, there's responsibilities and probably um, implications for third level and further education institutions and how they support young people. Um, mm. Because, you know, remote learning is, is still continuing to some extent. Um, so we need to think about how we support them in that and then more broadly, you know, in terms of, for example, sports participation and, you know, um, interactions with peers, you know, these are really important for young people. Um, uh, and I think that was reflected during the pandemic. We could see how, how damaging it was for young people to be, you know, cut off from their from their networks uh, during the lockdown. We know that young people are resilient and they tend to bounce back from, from things in general. But do we know... Is there any evidence as to whether they will bounce back? I know that the growing up in Ireland is a major, major piece of ongoing long-term work that you do. So it, does it give you some way of projecting whether they will bounce back yeah. or any help to bounce back? Yeah, so I suppose like there's, there's often, it's often said that young people are resilient, but I think that, you know, that doesn't take away from the fact that you know, certain young people will be very vulnerable. So you know, let's say people who are um, in you know, um, sort of much more financially insecure positions, you know, if they lost their job, that was a sort of a double whammy. So I think you know, let's say young people with um, special educational needs, um, you know, maybe unstable family environments. So I think, you know, uh, it's not true, I suppose, to say that everybody is resilient and they'll automatically bounce back. I think, you know, we need to think about people potentially in vulnerable situations who were really badly affected uh, by the effects of the pandemic. But I suppose one thing um, that we can uh, do is with growing up in Ireland, we're going back to these young people next year when they're going to be 25 years of age. So it'll be really important to try and track, you know, I suppose the the recovery from the pandemic, you know, as things have opened up and, and, uh, you know, life has returned to near normality, I think now, um, you know, let's say what sort of groups maybe um, are still struggling um, and what sort of groups, you know, did recover and what the factors were that um, enabled them, I suppose, to to recover and and to sort of reduce um, levels of mental ill health. Just briefly before I let you go, Dr. Nolan, just go through the the, the whole concept of the growing up in in Ireland uh, study, uh, because it's a massive study, and I think not looking into it, a massive longitudinal study, it's very, very useful. Oh, it's been invaluable. Um, So um, just to give you a bit of background on it, um, there's two what we call cohorts of young people that we've been following 
now for over 10 years. Um, so this group that we're um, talking about today, um, they're about 24 years old now. But we started interviewing them and their families when they were nine years of age. Um, so we've interviewed them at five points in their lives. So, you know, they've moved from primary school to secondary school, uh, into further and higher education, into the world of work. They've moved out of the family home. So we get really useful information about all those key transitions in yeah. their lives. And similarly, we have a younger cohort then who are now about the age of 13 um, and we've been following them from the age of nine months. So we get really useful information on, you know, um, their sort of infancy, the move into primary school and now the move into secondary school. And about how many people are in each cohort? So um, in the younger cohort, there were about um, 11,000 young people um, that were followed after birth. And then in this cohort now, um, there was about 9,000. So, uh, you know, I think uh, we've all come across, actually, I've come across, you know, people who are in the study and families that are in the study because there's been so many of them. And I suppose if any of them are listening, I'd just really like to thank them. Um, It's a huge investment on their time and we really appreciate all of the information that they give us. It's it's been hugely valuable. Very, very sizable bank of information and data. Thank you very much, Dr. Anne Nolan, Associate Research Professor at the Social Research Division of ESRI, the Economic and Social Research Institute. Um, This growing up in Ireland. And you know what? When I read it this morning and read the summary of the report and whatever, I felt a little guilty, to be fair. Um, I think because in the early days of the pandemic, sometimes, now, you know, we, we kind of looked at it and looked at it and looked at it and looked at it. But we, I, I personally might have been a bit hard on, on some young people during the, the pandemic saying kind of look lads you've got your whole lives out ahead of you and this is going to lock you down and tie you up for a year or two and then everything will be grand maybe maybe not maybe they maybe I wasn't giving credit for the amount of damage that was being done to them because this certainly this survey shows that there was a lot of damage being done damage from which you hope and expect most of them will recover but yeah, if we were unfair at the time to younger people. Uh, sorry about that. I guess is all he can say, really. We Hopefully, when you know better, you do better. Uh, Carla wants to congratulate the fishermen who are taking a stand against the French military exercise and the ones who also stood up to the Russians. Uh, we're supposed to be a neutral country and these exercises shouldn't be taking place off our coast. We'll be talking to the fishermen later on this morning. Uh, we'll get their side of it. I tell you, I, I, the more I hear about these fish, I like them. Do you know? No! F off! Not doing that here! I like that. I do like that. 0818 96 96 96. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Beat the Monday Blues with free tickets to one of the big gigs at Live the Marquee and all the best tunes to get you through Monday from midday here on Cork's 96 FM. Were we a little bit hard on the young people during the, the pandemic? I, I think I might have been actually. To be honest, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. We spoke a few months ago. We've had him on once or twice since to Richard Grogan, uh, employment lawyer, who just went completely viral when he started doing TikTok videos and his his catchphrase. That's the law, and that's a fact. His 
following has just got bigger and bigger and every so often we check in with the various videos he's putting up. This is a particularly interesting one though. Using your own phone for work purposes. My advice is don't. If the employer wants you to use your own phone, I'd say no. Let them give you their company mobile phone. Now, Richard, I can't imagine that rocking up to your boss and saying, I want a company mobile phone is protected by law, is it? Good morning. Well, good morning to you. Well, I could tell you, I wouldn't. Somebody said to me, will you use your own mobile phone? And I was an employee. I'd most definitely say no. And there's a lot of reasons for it. The first one is you might get an employer who turns around and says, well, I'll pay for the mobile phone. A lot of them right? do. Yeah. Yeah. And the con- and so the contract moves over to the employer. Now suddenly that mobile number has gone to the employer. It's no longer yours. Right. And I have a massive number of cases where people go when they're leaving organizations, oh, they won't give me the mobile phone number. And you go, well, you signed it over. Oh. So that's the first. That's, so you suddenly find that you now no longer have your mobile number. The employer has it and you have great problems getting it back because it's no longer your phone number, it's theirs. Yeah. The but second, if, if some employer gives you an allowance towards your mobile and, and wraps it into your wages, so that's not the same thing, is it? No, that isn't. Then it's still your number, but now you end up with the problem that you're using it for work purposes. So let's say something happens and you're sending text messages, for example, to a client or a customer. Right. And there's a dispute. There's a there's a dispute, and somebody, some nice little lawyer, puts in a, a a motion for discovery of all documentation. Right. Now your mobile phone, because it has this information on it, has to be checked to see what there is and take it off to give to the other side, or a data protection request comes in. The phone has to be checked as well. Right. So somebody has to go. So so using your own mobile phone for work purposes means that you now have a situation that there could be data on that relating to an, a, a customer or a client who says, I want to be forgotten, you know, which they're entitled to do. They now somebody has to go through your mobile phone to make sure that all of that is properly deleted mm-hmm. or they put in a request for the documentation. Somebody has to go through it to check everything on it. So, wow. Yeah, so, yeah, and this has happened in the UK where um, uh, a, a company um, was dealing with matters and pe- they knew people were using their own mobile phones and they put in a request to the, the courts and the oh. court said yes. And the next thing the people had a, a summons, or sorry, to produce their mobile phone. Chris. <sighs> I've had the same mobile number since the days of, and I'm sure you remember them, the 088 mobiles, right? I know, had- I'm not going to go back to, I, don't, I never had anything other than, my number has never, has never changed, I don't go back to 088. Well, I but, do, but I, I got another, and I have the same number going back along, and I'm thinking, like, there's, because of the nature of the work I've been doing, there's everything from train drivers to former Tishi have my mobile number. It was just, just how it, how it, how it happened. You know? Yeah. Well, sorry. Uh, I have a. I have my. The, you are talking to me at the present time on my work mobile phone. Right. Yes. Right. It is a work mobile phone. So the contact details for for various people, whether they're other solicitors, clients, barristers, the rest, they're all on it. 
And the whole issue with using your own mobile phone is that you are, if you're using it, it now becomes a business phone. And it's subject to all the business conditions that apply to it. And you end up in this situation that, let's say somebody sends you in something, you know, uh, they send you in a message and you you're forward it back to them. But by mistake, let's say you forward it to somebody else. Yes. You've now, there's now a data breach on your oh, phone, which means, somebody, which means somebody now can be coming in, looking at your phone to, to, to check right. it out. This is why I'm saying to people, people have mobile phones. Now, the other one, by the way, that's coming up is employers will say, oh, we'd like you to put on a, a clock in and clock out app on your phone. Uh, right. Which, yeah. Now, a lot of those apps also have what they call a very nice thing called a tracking device. Yeah. So it tells you where they tell them where you are. Right. So, you know, so I'm supposed to be uh, I'm supposed to be in, you know, in, in Cork City today. And the tracking device says that I'm out in uh, in Skibbereen at Calbo's having a coffee. Yeah. Now, so so now the other thing is these tracking devices don't stop at five o'clock in the evening. Yeah. So you've now so you've now put on an app. Now, if that's a business phone, for example, you're you're in you're you're in work at South Mal. You go home and you put the phone in a drawer for the weekend. Nobody knows where you are because the app only is only tracking you to home. That's as much as it does. But the phone, it's not tracking you that you're that 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 you're somewhere that you shouldn't be. I see. I see. Yeah. So so I, I so if you're going to be put using these apps, you need to understand what they can actually do. Yeah. And an awful lot of people don't. So, I mean, I'm saying to people, if, if somebody says they want uh, you to use an app for logging in and logging out, the answer is, well, absolutely fine. No problem. I want to make sure there isn't a tracking device on it. All right. And secondly, I want a, mob- a company mobile phone because I'm not putting it on my own phone. I see. This could become problematic, I imagine, Richard, then in the the new era which we now enter, and that is the the era of hybrid working, working from home, two days in the office and three days at home. That's where that could be an issue, yeah? It's going to become an absolutely massive issue, particularly because, unfortunately... And, And I'm not blaming businesses on this, by the way. You know, a business goes and gets an app, Yes. Right. Like this. Sometimes they don't actually know just how much is on this app. Yes. So when you tur- when you turn on your mobile phone, you'll often get a, a thing as regards your location. You know, allow, don't allow. Yes. But some some of these apps automatically have a tracking in it. Yes. Yes. And so you don't have to allow, or so y- y- you need to know what app is going in and what facilities it has. And an awful lot of the SME sector. To be honest with you, they've got an app for clocking in and clocking out. They don't actually know what else is on it. And they probably aren't checking all of these things. But it, it does mean that there are difficulties there that are going to arise in the future. So that's why I'm saying to people, don't use your mobile, your personal mobile phone. Wow. And that's is there a statute limitation on this stuff, Richard? Like, can someone <laughs> come along and say, well, no, there was something came up there from 10 years ago and we need to go through your records from then? Well, the issue on it is you're only allowed to retain data for as long as is absolutely necessary. Yeah. So if you've got a if you've got a 
your personal phone and you've got a, a business contact number on it, for example. Yeah. And that business person hasn't been in touch with you for the last two years. Yeah. Why are you retaining the number? Mm. So you need to so you need to go through your numbers very often to check is there a reason for for holding this person's number where you might or or what happens is they send you in something uh, you know they send you in an email and your phone is synced to your to your office desk you know have you deleted that off your phone yeah 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 so this is yeah so I mean let's take solicitors for example solicitors we have to hold everything for seven years. But after seven years, we get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a stat. There's a statutory reason for that. But most people, you know, it's going to be an awful lot shorter. It's when the whatever deal you're doing with them needs to be, it's finished. Mm. Then you get so rid the of the old it. days. I mean, the, the old days of having a contacts book where everything was written down in the contacts book that just migrated to the telephone when the it became possible to do it. She's saying all those, oh, yeah. all those big contacts lists that are on people's telephones in any line of work, that they could be problematic. Could be, this is one of the issues with GDPR, uh, this whole issue of personal data being held. And the difficulty that, that you have is that because it's a mobile phone, if, you, if, I have, if I have your number, for example, on my mobile phone, right. just take that as an example, and my mobile phone is lost or is lost. Yes. Right. So I lose my mobile phone. I now have to advise you that you're. I've lost my mobile phone, and your number is on it. Mm-hmm. And I and I might have to report it to the data protection commissioner. So that's why having your everything on your own phone is so problematic now because the legislation in this country has gone. It's gone a bit crazy on GDPR, but the, certainly the, the mobile phones, I'm getting a lot of questions in from people saying mm. that they found out that they've put a, we say, a sign-in and sign-out app on yes. and they've got, a, they've got a call then from the employer saying... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Uh, I thought you were in the office in South Mall. Oh, God. Now you're, now, now you're, and I'm seeing here that you're out in, in, in Skib. I'd what hate to doing? be working for someone like that, Richard. I really would. <laughs> well, I, 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 so would I. But what I'm, but what I'm saying is, there are times when these are very useful. For example, if you've got somebody who's a, who's a, we say a, a van driver, and he's driving around, they're checking the, 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 it, and somebody phones in and says, "I'm waiting for my, my, my washing machine. When is it going to be delivered?" And they turn around and they say, "He's in. He's within." two kilometers of your house now. So in that, it's very useful. Mm. But it's it, it it can be misused. Mind you, I, I, when, I, when I get a message like that, I believe it just like I believe that me builder's nana died. Do you know what I mean? Like they, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean? I, 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 I understand that. But some of the, some of the, particularly the delivery companies now are using them, and they're very sophisticated, yeah. Yeah. The, the tracker. So the tracker is saying... Um, Look, we know he's he's 500 meters away from your house. If you actually hold on the phone, he, you should see the van coming up the road. And somebody goes, "Oh, I actually see him there now. Yeah. Fantastic!" So it so that's very useful. But the 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 problem on it is people don't know what they're putting on their on their phone, yeah. and they don't understand the legal obligations yeah. once they have this information on their phone. So that's why having a company mobile phone is much safer. Right. Now, by the way, for businesses equally. I, I have, uh, anybody who works here in this firm has a company mobile phone. Now that means that if they leave, uh, that phone stays here, and all the, the client contact details. So they they don't use their own mobile phone for cl- for contacting clients. They use the office one. I have you. Lastly, so, though, what are your rights if you if you are a person who's using your mobile phone for work at the moment, and you're listening to Richard Grogan saying there are so many different problems with this potentially? What are your rights then to go into your boss and say come here I'm not too happy about this anymore well the first thing you can do is you can you can send an email to the boss saying can I have a copy of all data that you've retained on me relating to any app that you've put on that is on my phone because if an employer has to put in place if they're going to be using apps that have we say a tracker or clock in and clock out they have to have a written policy it has to be given to you they have to say who can and cannot look at this and how long they're going to keep this information for. And by the way, if it's clocking in and clocking out, by the way, it's going to be two years. Um, but And they have to tell you that you have a right to get this information. So if you think that somebody is kind of looking over your shoulder, but in fact they're looking into your mobile phone, the answer on it is you say, I'd like a copy of any data that you have, and you're entitled to that. If you don't get it, it's a complaint to the Data Protection Commission and it can possibly be a claim to the circuit court. And as, as they say, that's the law. And that's a fact. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, as well, I'd, as I'd say, that is the law and that is a fact. And you know, and I don't want to see problems arising. That's why I'm raising this issue. Listen, great conversation, really enlightening. Thank you very much, Richard Grogan. You can follow him on TikTok. Does the videos every every couple of days on various elements of employment law. But that's just an unusual one. Thanks, Richard. Your mobile phone. Your you don't have to use it for work. And he's advising that you don't for all sorts of different complicated reasons. 
It's certainly worth thinking about. 0818969696. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. C6 Steve returns to Cork for the first time in a decade with a show at Cypress Avenue on July 19th. Tickets are now on sale from the Old Oak and at cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. In September, Irish National Opera and Landmark Productions return to Cork with The First Child, a piece written by Donica Denicky and Enda Walsh and featuring operatic sensations Neve O'Sullivan and Sarah Shine. It runs at the Opera House with more information available from their website. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any gigs by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer on Cork's 96 FM. God's welcome on what Richard Grogan was saying, or indeed anything else that comes up in the course of the program. We don't forget your voice messages in particular to 083 396 96 96. Kate, I got yours about mental health post pandemic, and I'll come back to it in just a while. But Sheila Foley, I read your piece about teaching small children, the very, very basics of simple medical stuff. Like, what would you want to start teaching them and when would you want to start teaching it to them? Good morning. Good morning. Um, Well, I think super, super basic stuff, obviously, like just dealing with bleeding or allergies or bites or stings or the recovery position, things like that. And I know I did say in my um, piece that I wrote for the Irish Medical Times about um, teaching them in preschool, but it was a bit tongue in cheek. I think more like primary school right. would be a, a good starting point. And what, what would like things like blood, bites, stings, recognising an allergy, aren't, are they not things parents should teach you? Well, I think that young children could find themselves in a situation where they're the only other person present when a medical situation occurs, especially in like a school environment. So I think that if they knew things like how to uh, raise the alarm, how to contact the emergency services, how to just begin to deal with something, it would better prepare them than how to be stand there being helpless. And I do know there is an onus on parents. I'm a parent myself. Um but I, I don't necessarily have the education or the training to tell them exactly what to do. Yeah. We don't have any allergies in our house. I wouldn't know how to, to deal with anything like that. So maybe if a professional could step in and just give them a few pointers. Yeah. I was just going to ask that, like, who would do this, this teaching? I mean, teachers would be very much just, in, in medical terms, lay people like yourself and myself. So, so who would teach? the? And there, it's a brilliant idea, by the way. I can't see an argument against it. Who would teach it, though? Well, they have brought it in in the UK. I think in March 2020, it came um, became mandated in all state primary schools to teach it. And they folded in as part of the health sciences. So presumably there is some sort of education of the educators. Um, but also there are third parties that can come into schools and they can just take an afternoon or a few afternoons and just go through some of the basics. So um, I know the Irish Heart Foundation does it with secondary schools. They do um, CPR training and they do it for free. So there could be some model like that where, where you wouldn't have to, you know, rely on, on a lay person, as you're, as you're saying, in coming up with um, all the answers. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating idea, to be honest. And I mean, as I, mean, I can I, I was in school 
when I started developing an interest in, in, in medical things and that kind of stuff. Uh, so to, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer to do it. I, you, you mentioned in your own, your own even eight-year-old, I think, has learned an introduction through her scout group. Yeah, she learned. Um, I, the thing that stuck with her certainly was the recovery position. Um, so yeah, she just they just took an evening and they went through um, some basic first aid. And I know the recovery position and how to deal with some um, bandaging and kind of like cuts and sprains and the little things that might happen to them when they're out camping and, and stuff like that. And I even think like they could, I know I did say primary school, but they could start them in like the early classes. Like you could teach it through songs. There could be games and there could be encouraging them to create posters and just sort of make them more um, health aware. Like I know disease prevention because of COVID is something that's running through the schools and mm-hmm. people are very aware of washing their hands and, you know, asking for hand sanitizer etc but I do think that they could just take it a step further and just sort of make it a part of the curriculum well, if you look at it and I, I talked to parents here during the worst days of the pandemic and they were saying like when they'd be going into the supermarket and and, and the, the, the six-year-old is going mammy your mask so they can <laughs> learn it been there been there yeah <laughs> <you>? for sure <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they became better, better guardians of the mask rule than we were ourselves. Sometimes, do you know? And and they they know about germs. They like they. It's really you know obviously the catastrophe that was COVID, but it, like there has been some learning teachable moments that have come out of it. And I certainly think by watching my eight year old and her friends that um, they are more health conscious and they. They, they do feel like they, they want to contribute more to society. And if they did learn something like first aid in school, I think it could lead to even a healthier population. And out of that, you could have like reduced waiting lists and you may even have people joining the health workforce when they get older. Mm. And, and lastly, you were saying, you know, this isn't exactly rocket science either because so you, did you have, you were in the States for a few years, so your children started their schooling there. And yeah. visits by professionals to their class was was a re- re- regular enough thing. Oh, yeah. They would have like first responders, nurses, doctors, dentists. And I think it did help demystify medicine and take away the fear factor. And they were allowed to ask any questions. And they would obviously then come home with a, a rake of paraphernalia to do with the with whoever was talking but um i do think it's it's, it's something that they could do here i mean I, i'm sure parents would even volunteer to go into the schools and talk about their their careers in the health sector and i think this could this could just help people get on board all right sheila thank you it's a cool idea sheila foley writing in the irish medical times so should we start teaching the basics of first aid and the basics simple 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 stuff to five and six year olds seven year olds preschoolers and they proved during the pandemic they can learn this stuff organically as it were so should we maybe start looking at that as to include it in the very smallies school or preschool curriculum your thoughts, welcome on that or anything else at 083 396 96 96. Get back to the talking earlier on about, um, yeah, mental health um, and young people and the ESRI report uh, that has been published where they're now in no doubt that the mental health of young people, people in their early 20s particularly, was badly affected by the pandemic. Here's what Kate 
has had to say. The biggest damaging thing at the moment is is for young people not being able to rent at a price that's affordable. Uh, there are people dropping out of college because of this and yes the mental health after the pandemic and during has really suffered but that's across the board. Um, I'm not diminishing um, you know young people's mental health struggles um, but many people my age, I'm 39, have also struggled. Uh, we were cooked up, uh, locked up at home with our kids uh, in my case, uh, special needs uh, kids. Um, and um, yeah, I, I suffered a good year um, after the, the second lockdown in January 2021. Um, you know, so the mental health struggles are across the board and the problem is there isn't enough provision uh, by the government, by the HSE to help everybody that's suffering with anxiety, depression as a fallout from the pandemic. Um, it's not really been dealt with proactively at all, if you ask me. And it's horrible young people missed out on all the opportunities of going to their first class uh, together in, in first year in college. Because I remember when I was that age, that was a big deal. You met your friends for life in some cases. You know, I still have friends from my first year in college and people who are working from home, which is just not the same. Um, but yeah, I feel really bad for young people, especially if they lost their jobs and weren't able to go back and all the lost opportunities. But I really hope, I really hope that everybody bounces back and there are jobs out there now. Um, it is tough for people, and I think the government needs to acknowledge that. Okay, thank you very much for that uh, voice message. Uh, if you want to send us one on anything we're talking about, or anything you think that we should be talking about, uh, 83 Now, I've got a Patrick Murphy, who is CEO of the Irish South and West Fish Producers. He's been on before when they told the Russians to go home, and home the Russians went. Uh, now they're telling the French uh, to go home. Patrick, what's going on and why does it concern you? Good morning again. Well, PJ, good morning, first of all, and good morning to everybody who's tuned in to listen to us. Um, it's the same thing, PJ, but it's a different nationality. That's that's the only difference. Oh, sorry, there is another difference. They're using missiles now, so uh, uh, an upgrade in the military weapons that they're testing, so even greater dangers. So this is um, the French military due to do an exercise off the coast uh, this week, in fact. Uh, and yeah, yeah. and it, it will impinge on, once again, like the Russians are going to do it, will impinge on, on your business directly. Yeah, but, but not only that, you see, we, we raised this issue, and this is the truth, right? These are massive explosions and the sonars that these boats are, are way, way more powerful, 100 times more powerful than the ordinary fishing boat. And this interferes with the migration of fish and it interferes with the movement of dolphins and whales, you know. And we've had other organisations saying that they believe that this type of activity has led to strandings of whales and dolphins um, on our shoreline. So there's huge concern there. And look, our commissioner, uh, Servignius, um, Virginia Savignius, the uh, Commissioner for DG Mara and DG Environment, has called us publicly custodians of the sea by our actions when we um, foiled, we'll say, the, the Russians coming into our waters doing these exercises. So yes. nothing's changed. You know, the only thing that's changed is the timeline is shorter. Um, and we're trying to, to, to mitigate any potential damage and harm that this can uh, foist upon our industry 
and the marine environment. You know, we, we genuinely, as fishermen, want to protect our marine environment. It's mm. where we make our living. We have to protect it. They're due in on Wednesday, is it? Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Is there any hope of stopping yeah. it now? Well, you see, here's the thing. Um, I sadly lost my mother um, this past week. Oh, and I was in the middle sincere of... Sincere condolences, of, of, Patrick. Thank you very much. Um, and look, she is a loss to us and, and my father in November. So going through this at this time, it's actually a distraction uh, from that. So it, that's a kind of welcome. But at the same time, it was at the actual funeral that my colleagues told me that this was happening. And that's when I heard of it first. So I had to leave um after, of course, the ceremony to come home. I didn't get a chance to um, talk about the memories that we had with my cousins. I had to come home because I had to contact my members. This is serious. This is how serious it is. And and we're at it since. And we're, we're at a loss to why when our Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, wrote to the Russians, told them they weren't welcome, told them that this wasn't, you know, something that we uh, wanted, uh, is now suddenly... You know, hopefully he has written a letter, but we have heard nothing. And we have our uh, Green um, leader of the Green Party, who is the Minister for Transport, once again sending out a message warning the Irish fishing boats to get out of the way of, of these exercises. And it beggars belief, to be honest with you, PJ. And we've had enough of it. And we've been calling since February for a moratorium on these activities mm in not just our waters, but every waters. And look, you know, we spoke about the Russian thing at length the last time mm-hmm. and whether there would be an invasion or not. And here we are now at the next step talking about another superpower um, shooting missiles up into the atmosphere. What message would that be uh, given to uh, the Russians if we didn't speak up about this? Mm-hmm. You know, if our minister didn't act in the same regard. You're, you're, regard calling, on, you're calling on French. Simon Coveney to, to move and say no to the French and just go home. Well, if, if he believed and if our commissioner believed that this was wrong when it was under a Russian flag, I don't see why it being under a French flag would make any difference. I think that if we believe this should be stopped, then it should be stopped. It shouldn't be commended. And look, we're talking about spending millions and millions about bringing in marine protected areas and, and, and bringing these into protected areas. I don't think this would classify as coming under protecting our marine areas. And, and we should be speaking out about this. Okay. And unfortunately, as I said, PJ, and look, we're really grateful. I can't stress this enough to yourselves in the media when you heard this story to put it on straight away because time is short. And we are reaching out now to the French ambassador again, like we did to the Russian ambassador, to meet with us. Tell us what's involved here so that I can communicate with my members whether there is an inherent danger. And if I do have to advise them, you know, that this is what's coming and whether you take the risk or not, or is it worth keeping fishing? These boats are already outside in these areas, you know. This is serious. It is not a joke. Some people say that, you know, we're only looking for the line. We absolutely are not. This is a serious development and it cannot be allowed to go um, unnoticed and not spoken about. And we appreciate yourself and everybody else that gives us the platform to tell the people that this is not right and we have to stop it. All right, Patrick, we'll see what happens. It's very, very short notice. They're due here 23rd, which is Thursday, and to be here till 25th, wondering whether the Department of 
Foreign Affairs or the Department of Transport can move in and say, no, lads, actually, you're not welcome here. Go fire your missiles and play war games somewhere else. And Patrick, uh, thank you very much, Patrick Murphy, the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. And again, uh, my condolences and the condolences of the team on the Las Mom. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Uh, that passport crack is still going on. We've been talking about it for months and months now, it seems. But it's still going on. we got a message in about renewing passports. I'll come to it in a while. Got a question for Richard Grogan. Should employees be told about the tracker in a work van? We'll go back on to Richard. Absolutely. Uh, must be advised. In fact, you've a right to be advised if there's a tracker in the van. And he says himself, that's the law and that's a fact. John says the French Navy off the Irish coast is a protection for us as a friendly nation within the EU. It's totally different from the Russian situation and is to be welcomed. Possibly, politically, you're right, John, but they're firing missiles. They're testing missiles. And the problem is, according to Patrick and the uh, fishermen, they will not only cause ructions for fish stocks, but they are very dangerous to fish stocks. And it's coming right in the middle of, of a fishing season. So our fishing fleets will be directly affected by it. These things affect sonar and... Sonar affects wildlife at sea. So there's your problem. Not so much the fact of who owns the boats. Thanks, John, though. 0818 96 96 96. Or your text or WhatsApps to 083 396 96 96. And should you want to send us a voicemail on anything at all that we're talking about, or indeed anything we're not talking about that we think you should be talking about, send us a voicemail to that particular number. Have a. I Gary off of this for a second. When I was first diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, I saw that as an opportunity to gain extra attention for breaking world records for charity and having more purpose in my life than I have ever had. Because that's me. I'm the king of silver linings as well as the king of chemo. I am Mr. Positive everywhere in life, not just the sexual health clinic. Because that's my job. I have cancer. Sir, not can't, sir. My brain tumor has not dropped my sense of humor. I put the phone in fundraising. I have to talk to that man, Ian Ward. Good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> are you? Do you still have a terminal brain tumor, or is that changed? No, uh, I literally got the call from my MRI results. Um, 20 minutes ago, 40 minutes ago, and uh, it's always a draw, which is annoying to me. My mom always is delighted when I say, oh, yeah, no growth. But when I always hear it, it's just that means it's a draw as opposed to a victory. Right. Okay. And when were you diagnosed? Um, near enough to this time, two years ago. It was a, it was, my diagnosis was just before my brother's birthday. And then my surgery was just after my birthday, which is tomorrow. And my brother's birthday is the uh, 26th of May. So in and around the, uh, the, the peak of COVID a couple of years ago, which was, um, 
annoying for some, but handy for me. How come it was handy for you? Getting that oh, because of everyone else was stuck in, so I wasn't missing it. And when I had to like go in for surgery and all that, I was like, ah, well, no one's having a big summer party without me. This is great. Everyone yeah. else is suffering with me. There, there, <laughs> I'm missing there, nothing. There's the positivity on it. And your Instagram is, is full of it. Um, you're in Cork, I think, this week for the first time ever. You are Irish. You live in the UK, I know that. But you're, you're Irish, as Irish as they come. But you're in Cork for the first time this week. Yeah, I'm going to see the uh, Chemical Brothers down on the uh, the 23rd, which uh, I've seen them uh, uh, God knows how many times now. I've actually met one of them, um, uh, showed him my tattoo, and he was very afraid of <laughs> where it was because it's just on my hip, and I think he must have seen that it was going to be somewhere worse. And he was just like sort of, I've got a photo of um, Ed Simons looking a bit sort of relieved that like <laughs> it wasn't further down. Tell us a bit about yourself, Ian Ward, because you're a bit of an Instagram sensation for your whole positivity and fundraising for cancer. Tell us about yourself. Oh, well, that whole Instagram thing, that literally snapped overnight. Um, so there's a lot of emails that I've been sending out to people like, hey, can I get a, can I do your event um, uh, for free? And can we have a, a film crew on it and all that sort of thing? And um, the emails that I sent them was like, you know, yeah, so I have this many followers on uh, TikTok or whatever. And now when I've gotten responses from them, I have to really update, like, by the way, the, uh, the channel has now tripled in size and uh, Instagram, uh, that's only become popular, uh, same sort of thing. I think uh, at the start of, um, start of June, I think I had 2000 followers. It was all like uh, TikTok was the thing that I was uh, yeah. big on. And now Instagram is like nearly, nearly 50,000. So well, it's going very well. It's, and getting 50,000 on Instagram is, is, is hard to get. So tell, oh, us, yeah. tell us about yourself. Where are you from? How long, you, you know, tell us about uh, yourself. So I'm, uh, I'm from Dublin. I'm in there. I'm currently there at the moment. And, uh, I don't know how else to describe myself. Like I was, uh, I was working in the fitness industry before, uh, before um, COVID kicked off. And that was also when it, it changed from uh, me having a supposed benign tumor to having one that was, uh, was cancerous. And um, uh, the way I found out was uh, by a f- complete freak occurrence. I've been doing, um, uh, what would you call it? A research. Uh, I've been a human guinea pig <laughs> for, for ages. And uh, the last time I went in, uh, they said, because uh, they always do in, incredibly uh, scrutinizing medical tests on you. And so they were like, you've got a, I did an MRI and they said, you've got a, you've got a brain tumor. And then my first reaction to that was, oh, so does that mean that I can't do the, uh, the medical trial? And I was like, eh, no, you cannot do the medical trial. You have a serious health problems. So I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. I was going to get three grand out of that. <laughs> and um, So then uh, I, uh, they said it was benign and uh, that was, um, I kind of looked that up, like what kind of benign tumor effect, and it was like a, a driver's license and uh, other stuff like that. And so I was a bit uh, miffed about that sort of thing. But in and around the same time, uh, I had meniscus damage uh, to my to my knee, yeah. and so that that meant that I was unable to uh, properly do um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that I had recently uh, gotten into, and I was I was decent at it. And uh, so that was actually far more um, depressing and saddening than the, uh, the benign tumor at the time because it was something that I could physically uh, feel. It was, you know, a difference in my life directly there. But like, it's difficult to sort of get upset over the uh, the tumor situation because I don't have uh, symptoms. So it's sort of like saying there's a there's a meteorite coming to destroy Earth. That's like until you can sort of 
it's difficult to be afraid of because it's it's not there. It's not tangible. And have you ongoing treatment for it? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, treatment at this point not so much. So I go in for an MRI scan every uh, three months, and uh, then afterwards they give me the uh, the results. And so realistically, the um, the best thing that I can hope for is uh, no growth without there being a change in uh, cancer treatments where there's like a, a new a new cure. And seeing as how uh, people are able to uh, text me uh, uh, over Instagram, there's about a thousand cures. If I'm if I was to believe uh, everything that someone uh, someone says from yeah. like the anecdotal evidence, but at the same time, the longer I stay uh, alive, it, that increases the chances of there being like fully uh, verified research um, uh, treatments for cancer. And so it's like the longer I last, the more it increases my likelihood of survival. Where does all this positivity come from? I, I don't know. I've, I've always just sort of been like that uh, sort of silver linings mm. way of looking at things. Um, yeah, it's it's not it's nothing new. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the rec- now there's a sort of a thing to prove it a bit more. Were well, you always into the record breaking stuff? That I watched a video of you finishing. You'd done a double marathon on a treadmill. You lunatic. Yeah, yeah. Treadmills are actually harder for uh, for different reasons, but uh, boredom being the big one. Like, because if you do a marathon, you get to move around. I did uh, the Gale Force, which isn't a marathon, but it's uh, it's quite long, and you get to go through the the only fjord in Ireland and out in uh, Westport. It's absolutely beautiful. I've seen it, yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing! Absolutely amazing. Um, I made a video on it, but it doesn't do it justice whatsoever. You 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 the camera doesn't sort of um take in the, the the atmosphere of the the whole experience itself and so when you're on a treadmill uh it's uh, like I, I do a thing now where it's uh i i do twitch which is like mostly a gaming platform where i play video games while on a treadmill and i don't tell people in the moment but uh in a lot of ways it's a lot easier because you're distracted from uh what you're the game rather than um, just sitting there going doof, 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 doof on the, on the treadmill. <laughs> yeah. And the fundraising is almost, it's almost a full-time job for you now. You fundraise all the time. Oh yeah. It's a weird situation when someone says, uh, so like, what do you do for work? And it's like, eh, well, like I'm technically unemployed, but at the other end, it's like, I'm working far more than, uh, than an average sort of 95 because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nonstop. The Saturday and Sunday are prime time for um, TikTok for when you do, for when I do my uh, uh, workouts. I don't know about mo- most, most things on TikTok don't seem to be uh, to do with like lifting weights and that sort of thing. And um, so I don't know what prime time is for um, the normal stuff, but for my thing, it's always uh, in and around lunchtime. And then afterwards there's like videos to be edited, emails to be sent. Like it's, Mm. it never really ends. Even when I'm like taking a, taking a train, it's still sort of, you know, Mm. uh, getting in touch with somebody or talking to my, uh, my manager, Izzy, who's um, a volunteer manager, but good God, she never stops. Like if you think I don't stop, I don't, she's, she works full time and then she also does my stuff and it seems like it's full time. It's she's mad. Yeah. Now you're trying to do this double marathon, not just not on a treadmill, but for real. Let me get this right. You want to run it in every one of the fifty two countries and territories on Europe in Europe across yep. a year. Yep. So fifty two miles is an exact double marathon. And then uh, the when I originally did that on a treadmill, I just really liked when sort of patterns mix in. Uh, together like that and um, 
I, I was like, oh, that's that's just really cool. And it was uh, it's a lead up to me trying to get uh, the whole way around the world um, by manpower only. And then so I thought, all right, well, I better test that out with something like maybe do a van tour where, uh, you know, I can kind of break it up. And then mm. that was the idea. And then I was like, how many different uh, countries and territories? And you, depending on what list you go to, uh, it changes around. But there's roughly 52 right. um, countries and territories. It includes things like, you know, Gibraltar and the Isle of Man and yeah. uh, Jersey Island. So you, it, there's a bit of play with it. But uh, fingers crossed that uh, Putin doesn't mess it up um, <laughs> by the time this comes around. So when are you hoping this will start or has it started already? Um, so I, I changed around. My, I originally had a GoFundMe that was just for the treadmill that uh, I do my, a lot of my live streams on. Yeah. And then I was kind of thinking, oh, well, that van is going to be expensive. And like hiring the um, style, like uh, uh, documentary filmmakers and that sort of thing, that's going to be expensive as well. So I should probably sort of um, get that going. And so I changed the GoFundMe around and I almost feel like I need to start telling people like, but guys, that the GoFundMe is a, is, is a different thing to the uh, cancer research charity. So it's almost like I have to um, uh, shepherd them like, no, 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 don't donate a little bit to that, but like mostly focus on the Cure Cancer website because that's where it goes to the world record and that's where it goes to cancer research. Yeah, talk about that for a while now because that, that's, that's, that's the big aim. Yeah, well, that's the first one. The first one is uh, just being the fastest, well, not the fastest, sorry, but raising the most amount of money for uh, running a uh, marathon. And it was uh, it was set by someone in the UK. So it's done by the uh, pound, which uh, ch- has changed so much in the last year towards its own worth, which is like, uh, woohoo, go on, uh, go on, Brexit. You're helping my world record become a lot easier. <laughs> it used to be uh, 3.1 million. And um Someone posted on the uh, the Irish uh, lad Bible, and I was writing a message to them, being like, "Oh no, it's not two point six million. That's way off. I think you're getting confused with pound and and uh, thing." And then I did the conversion rate again. I was like, "Wow, that has, the currency has really weakened." Um, so it is. Uh, it's now two point six million uh, euro. Um, but that'll likely change. But uh, so that's the first record that I want to that I really want to break. And that will um, be the 4th of October is when the London Marathon is. And that's the the one that I've kind of set myself to. Right. And then also because I, I kind of felt um, that obviously having cancer and like sort of saying like, you know, sticking two fingers up in cancer's face, like that gives me the big pity vote. So uh, having cancer is a massive advantage <laughs> to getting that world record. However, I wanted to have one that uh, my cancer wouldn't be an advantage to. And that's just um, how fast I'm able to run the marathon okay. uh, dressed as something and you can everyone can do like, that what, if you is, want to. what is your marathon time Ian? Uh, so the last marathon I did was like um, four hours and that was up in Edinburgh but uh, whoever organised the Edinburgh um, marathon uh, route I think they did a terrible job because we're not you're not in the city at all and it would be incredibly difficult to do it in Edinburgh because if you've ever been before it's it's very hilly it is. but it's also incredibly scenic like it's it, you're yeah. like it's like being in a a, a a movie like you're in Harry Potter world or something where things are modern yet they're all uh, medieval right. but it what it chose to do is try and keep the flatland so it took you out to the coast and along the coast they bring you through farmland which is basically just gravel yeah. and it 
tore my feet to bits. Okay. So I don't know how fast my head. No, it's, uh, it's a lovely part of the world, though. Though it's Edinburgh, like you said. But you're going for the London Marathon on the fourth of October for this fundraising um, record. Listen, good to talk to you. Enjoy the Chemical Brothers. Uh, and, oh, I always and, do. And enjoy Cork. Do. You've never heard before. I know you as a dub. It'll be hard for you to to hear this. But welcome to the real capital. <laughs> the rebel tell me which uh, which pub should I go to before we go to the gig what would you recommend oh there's any number of them we'll try and I, here's the thing we'll throw it out to listeners right so this guy Ian is coming to Cork this week to go to the uh, Chemical Brothers gig first time ever in Cork he's a marathon runner he's a cancer patient he's a fundraiser and I think a small bit of a lunatic as well if you don't mind my saying so what pub oh, yeah. <laughs> what pub would you recommend to Ian before he goes to see the Chemical Brothers at Musgrave Park Ian good to talk to you enjoy the trip and enjoy the gig oh, eight, one, and then the, good, good luck with all the fundraising and I've no doubt we'll talk again Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six. 96. Where should he go for a point before the, the Chemical Brothers gig? Uh, and we'll pass it on to him. They did it for the staff. Dermot Kennedy up at Apple Cork yesterday. Nice. Uh, which poses the question, what's the best perk of your job? My boss reckons that the biggest perk of my job is that I still have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I work for a major hotel group here in Cork, and when I'm going to Dublin, we can go to our other sister hotels and stay for free. And nice. We take care of it. Very nice. That stuff is That's much. nice. A hotel room up in Dublin is about 5 million euros. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. For, for a night out. I work in Jackie Lennox's lads. Say no. Oh. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. We posed this one earlier on and it's kind of an old question. I've asked it before, but when celebrities do what you see, it becomes... A big important question again. Uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow um, are not together anymore. Um, yeah, I know we all really care about that, but the thing is, they <laughs> stop. But they claim that they are still very close friends and still love each other as close friends, despite the breakup and all of that. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, look, we've all had exes in our lives. Um, and then there's the person you're with and then there's your ex and are you friends with an ex? Can you be friends with an ex? Is it advisable to be friends with an ex? You'd wonder, well, if they are an ex how can they still be a friend? Is there any story you'd have to tell me actually about maybe, do you still have an ex in your life that your other half is perfectly okay with kind of thing? Or, or is it like completely taboo altogether? To, to be con- in contact with an ex. Deirdre McCarthy is a family and social support expert and uh, I guess we can laugh about it, Deirdre, but I suppose when people break up and move on to new partners, it's it's best to try and keep it all cordial, isn't it, at least? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Um, I suppose, you know, there's for and against. Um, you know, I am, um, I suppose, in respect to couples, I suppose, you know, every one is different. Um, and I suppose there's times where it's a good idea and a bad idea. And I suppose times I suppose where it would be is a good idea is that if there has been an acceptance of the reasons why people broke up, yeah. I suppose that takes passage of time and, 
going through grief and loss because you're going to to grieve for a relationship. Mm. Um, so going through denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally, you know, moving on to the acceptance that the relationship is over. Mm. I suppose one of the keys is that both people need to be on the same page. Yeah, you know that that both people have moved on emotionally. That, you know, that their feelings for each other have changed to that similar to what they would have with other friends mm. um, that the, that they no longer feel that intensity that they would have had as a couple. Um, I suppose it, it like the positives are it, it works if it, if it doesn't hurt or it doesn't confuse either. Mm. And they're accepting of the independence life of each other and the private lives of each other. Yeah. Um, and to be able to do that, you need to be able to manage appropriate boundaries. Um, and as a, as a friendship, it has to have a positive purpose, I suppose. Yeah. Again, Whereas, thinking in terms of yeah. particularly people who met when they were younger and there were like circles of friends, yeah. groups of friends that hung around yeah. together in college and, and they all paired off. And even yeah. though like someone might have gone away and got married out of the per- with the person they, they met in, in college. The circle of friends remains the same. And it, you're very lucky when you have that. But then the couple breaks up. Can you, and, and it almost leads to, oh, can I be friends with John or Mary anymore? Like, do you know? And I suppose you'd end up being pulled into circles where you're going to be exposed to that person because other people could be getting married from that group of friends mm. and you could be at weddings and you could be at events and things like that. Mm. Um, I suppose that's part of the, the grieving process and going through that. Yeah. And, you know, where if you, if you can't get over somebody and if you're not, if they're occupying your thoughts and you're jealous that they're with somebody else, mm. that's not a positive way to be friends the chances are you're not going to move on and be friends that you're it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt and it can be draining I suppose where in terms of having friendships people tend to you know avoid each other within social situations and you end up having to grieve for that group of friends as well potentially that's right you lose the whole friend you lose the whole friends and then of course you you might have a new partner and everything would be really happy and rosy as it should be but then you you remember my ex that we we're still very close friends your partner might balk Mm. at that yeah and I suppose that's down to their experience then of their relationships and what their previous relationships meant to them. So if they had very intense relationships and really bad breakdowns, they may not be able to understand why a person would remain friends. Um, And you could see then how that could impact on your new relationship and that there could be fear and jealousy and Mm. and things like that, you know, eat into the relationship. I suppose one other area as well that, you know, remaining friends is, is very important in terms of, civil you know being civil and yeah. being calm with each other and being able to be around each other as if you have children that's the point yeah you know? yeah if, if so there's children there you, you, you got to make it work for mm. them you got to be able to at least tolerate each other for them you know yeah yeah and you know it might be about you know holding holding your own you know creating boundaries learning not to criticize the other per- parent in front of the children mm. you know communicating in a way that works for you a lot of life with a lot of ex-partners they, they would communicate through phone by text or an email rather than through voice calls because it can often be you know um very triggering for them to even get into conversations mm. in the early stages in particular mm. um because i suppose 
especially if a relationship is recently broken down, children will often, you know, be kind of forgotten in the fight that is is there between parents. Mm. Um, and then that moves on. But the child is after been damaged within yes, right. in that process at the start. And then the parents might get on with each other later on, but the impact has already been on the child. Yeah. So I've, I suppose there is that piece as well, mm, you know, um, that I, kind I've of come across it. people in my own circle or, you know, extended circle that are no longer together. But they'll tell you we're better friends for it. We're actually closer Ooh. as friends now. Now, the thing is, they might have children. If they don't have children, it's very easy. But if they did have children, that can be confusing too because Mammy and Daddy broke up because they didn't really love each other anymore. Now Mammy and Daddy go for pints and for dinner as friends. I'm confused here. What's going on? Very, very confusing. And I suppose that's where boundaries need to, to come in. Um, and look, ch- look, children adapt to whatever situation is there. Yeah. But it's about parents communicating it properly. And I suppose even making that comparison to their own friendships that, you know, that it changed, but they're friends like you are with, you know, X or your your whatever child in your class. Um, So children, children will take what their parents tell them. Yeah. At face value, anyway. And you, know, you must but it always is about communicate back. It. You always need yeah. to communicate back to the children. Look, whatever about me and Mammy or me and Daddy, we all, we both will always love you. Exactly. There's never going to exactly. change. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I suppose that's the piece that gets lost in the beginning. I suppose because there's so much pain and hurt, and when there's children and you're trying to move on from that pain and hurt you know, often the children just get dragged into it because that is an easy way to hurt the other parent. Yeah. And it goes, again, if there's a new partner involved and and you have to be friends with your ex because of the children and actually that friendship works out, then the new partner has to be okay with it and saying, okay, right, fine, the the kids are going to daddy this weekend, but, you know, you don't have to go over there for breakfast on Sunday morning before you collect them, do you? Yeah, you see this type of stuff. Yeah, so the, the boundaries need to be put in place and they have, I mean, it's about communicating with your partner as well yeah. okay. because you know it is about putting it in in place for everybody for it to work for everybody mm. um, if that's something that you feel you have to do for the children then your partner needs to be okay with it but if you also need to listen to your partner yeah. and if they're really uncomfortable with it and if it's hurting that person you know everything works out fine if, if somebody's not getting hurt in it yeah because that's when the problems are. I suppose another another thing in relation to breaking up, and in particular, I suppose to to people who've been together a long time, is that that you lose all their family as well. Yeah. You know, so you have you could have sisters-in-laws, brothers-in-law, you know, parent-in-laws, nieces, nephews, and things like that. You know, you actually end up losing all of those people as well, um, which can could be a huge part of your life. Yeah. So like. Breaking up isn't just two people breaking up. It's it's there's a lot of people involved. When you yeah. start looking at the the system kind of around you, yeah, and the, you know the places that you go and the people that you meet yeah. and see, there's a lot of people involved. Particularly if you've people. been together for for a long time. Yeah. Someone on the phone yeah. says, Deirdre, aren't the majority of breakups over infidelity? I mean, what other stated reasons are out there? I wouldn't say the majority. I say a fair few, but I wouldn't say the majority. Would you? I wouldn't say the majority. No, I, I think um, there's a lot of pressure on families and, and pressure on relationships, especially if you have children. I think that a lot of couples lose sight of each other when they have children 
Mm. Um, that that yes, that can lead to infidelity, but um, I think people just lose each other in that in their parenting roles, and mm. you know, life is really really hard, and parenting is hard, mm. and we're really busy, and you know, you're trying to work and pay the bills, and you can just lose sight of each other. Yeah, um, Tra- tragically, I. I know anecdotally of a lot of families, for example, where if there's a sickness in one of the children, uh, mm. that can put terrible pressure on the marriage. It can. It can, of course. Um, like that, you know, the the you just lose each other yeah. within that and you become self-sufficient and self-reliant because you don't want to burden the other partner. Yeah. yeah. So that's what can happen and I think if people were more aware of themselves within it and reaching out and getting support then potentially that would help in those situations but it's often it's often down the line I suppose that that it happens that people realize oh god I should have maybe reached out and gotten some help for my my own emotions because you end up you can become very resentful to the other partner because they weren't there Uh, but there's actually two of you in it (laughs) and that never works out well Um, it's an interesting and complex area Deirdre thank you Deirdre McCarthy we'll we'll talk again I'm sure Uh, 0818 96 96 96 he's a family and social support expert have you broken up with someone and then formed a great friendship with them afterwards and and if you ever sat back and said why is that why is it that as a couple we couldn't be together at all we couldn't stick each other couldn't stand the sight of one another now we're best pals you hear about that happening i've never actually spoken to someone for whom it did happen but you know but you know it does the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, a whole bunch of pub recommendations for Ian when he comes to see the Chemical Brothers Wednesday. It's his first ever time in Cork. People saying the Oliver Plunkett be a good spot. Goldbergs. Loads of people saying Goldbergs. Although that's kind of closer to the marquee than it is to... In fact, it's a lot closer to the marquee than it is to Musgrave Park, but good call. Tequila Jacks, good call, good spot. And Conway's Yard is also popular. Any more suggestions? Coming to town for the first time ever on Wednesday, is it Thursday? To see the Chemical Brothers. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the Midsummer Festival is in full swing. A huge success is that display in Cove Cathedral. Uh, of the world, this enormous globe of the world. Uh, we, we talked to the the artist a few months ago on the program. We heard it was coming. Eight thousand people alone flocked down to Coleman's Cathedral yesterday uh, to see it. And tomorrow is the Midsummer Parade. Um, of, uh, and tonight I'm going myself and going to see uh, Irene Kelleher's play in the Farrakhan Crane tonight. So the festival is in full swing. Festival director Lorraine May. Lorraine, good morning. Good morning. It's absolutely rocking. It is. It is. It's fantastic. Uh, it's very exciting. And as you say, you know, down in Cove, um, Belvilly Castle, you know, they brought the 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 earth to uh, St. Coleman's Cathedral and there are thousands of people going there to see it. It's absolutely spectacular. We have new shows opening all across the city. Mm. Uh, St. Passage, which you mentioned in the Firkin Crane, we have a new show by John O'Brien in the Triscoll Arts Centre tonight. Um, and also Guest of the Nation um, by Kirk Durka, that also opens tonight as well. So, uh, so all across the city, we have uh, lots of exciting work happening. 
important, so good to have the live side of it, as in the in-person live side of it back in full swing? It really is. There's really nothing like it. Um, you know, we had a, a beatboxing show over from London um, in the Everyman and it was absolutely packed. Everybody on their feet, you know, dancing together, trying out beatboxing together. Mm. Um, there really is nothing like having audiences gathered together uh, mm. for, for events. Talk to you at the parade tomorrow. That'll be big. Yes, so we're very excited. Our first parade. Um, we're working with Core Community Art Link, um, and there's over 100 participants, uh, three big floats, and uh, that'll be going down Oliver Plunkett Street from seven o'clock tomorrow evening to celebrate Midsummer's Day, which of course is tomorrow. Yeah. The, the how many, I, I take it that there are still tickets available for most of the events, although you have had quite a number of sellouts. We have. It's been it's been a very busy year at the box office. Um, we, we've had quite a lot of sellouts, which is fantastic. Um, but there are so, still tickets available for events this week. Um, but I would say to people to book fast because things are, are, mm. are booking very quickly, for sure. Have you a personal highlight that you'd be saying to people, don't miss it and you can still get a ticket? Um. So in terms of, we, we have some new Cork Theatre by John McCarthy um, that's going to be in Cork Opera House uh, this weekend. It's called Whale. Mm. Um, so I definitely wouldn't miss that. It's theatre, song, John McCarthy, a really brilliant Cork playwright. Um, so great to get along to see some of his work. Obviously, Cove is spectacular. Mm. The, um, the, the earth um, coming into town for the parade. That sense of, you know, sort of festive atmosphere, you mm. know, in the city will be there tomorrow. Um, and Ecclesiastes tonight uh, in the, in the Triscoll Arts Centre, uh, I think that will be well worth seeing as well. It's a quartet um, and an actor, a Derva Crotty, a, 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 an excellent actor um, by John O'Brien, and that'll be brilliant as well. But there's, there's plenty on all week. We also have Circus out in the Marina Market in the warehouse space there, a, an explosive, acrobatic, an aerial spectacle, which I think is going to be stunning. So um, don't miss that too. Okay. All right. And the, the website has further details and the full catalogue is there. I, I think yes. I got the last ticket in existence for for a safe passage tonight. So I'm so looking forward <laughs> to it. Lorraine, thank you and good luck with the continue, uh, continuation of the festival for the week. That's Lorraine May, uh, Festival Director of Cork Midsummer Festival. And tomorrow being the longest day of the year, Midsummer's Day, uh, June 21, the parade. Uh, through this. It's the first one they've ever had and it's said to be absolutely spectacular. But the crowd's going to Cove and the pictures, so many people taking pictures of the display in Cove and putting up on their their social media. It just looks, in the pictures, it looks utterly spectacular. Have to get down there. 0818 96 96 96. Happen with me, PJ, my ex-husband and myself get on great now and we're good pals. Couldn't get on while we're married. So yeah, it does... It does happen. I'd love to talk to someone who, um, who's been there, done that. You know, that the marriage just couldn't hack it. You couldn't hack it being married. You couldn't hack living with the people. With, with the, but being friends, that's cool too. That works. I'm supposed to be, oh my goodness me. I'm supposed to be going on holidays on Wednesday, but I still don't have my children's passports, even though we sent away the renewal application months ago. Not new ones, renewals. I rang the passport office on Thursday and Friday and was told we wouldn't have the one time. I worked really hard to pay for this holiday for my kids as they need a break after everything that's been going on. I had my 7 and 11 year olds crying last night because of this. Please, please if there's anyone who can help me, I'd appreciate it. I can even drive to Dublin to collect the passports 
if I have to. And you see, renewals are meant to be straightforward. We know there was a problem with the issuing of a child's first passport. That's a nightmare. We know that the electronic renewal for an adult pass- passport is like lightning fast. So what's going on here? Miss Mom, a breaking news before we finish today. I'll come back to it. Uh, before we go out, but there's a bit of a breaking story with regard to the fishermen and the French military exercises and all that. We'll try and get to it by the end, get you more details on it. But first of all, I want to talk to Alex Pacino Brady. I'm fascinated. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How's it going? I'm all right, bye. Alex Pacino Brady, you are the man behind Eye of the Beholder, which will be screened at the Gate Cinema this week, also throwing shapes. What is going on? There's so much great stuff coming out of the young uh, hip-hop industry in Cork now, and now you've got a, a documentary. Yeah, so essentially what's happening Wednesday, PJ, for those who don't know, um, is um, the Cabin Studio, we are having a premiere of Throwing Shapes at the Gate Cinema in Normain Street at half six, essentially. So um, basically what Throwing Shapes is, is it's a socio-realist documentary which depicts a variety of stories of seven young Cork artists as they find creative ways to express themselves through hip-hop and spoken word. So, um, yeah, basically it's one of the key words we identified in the workshops that led to what Throne Shapes became is frustration. So Throne Shapes centres on the frustrations of young people from quite often working class backgrounds, marginal areas, mm. who utilise hip hop and spoken word as forms of escapism and how the cabin studio itself um, created a voice for young people such yeah. as myself. Well we've had a, a huge, we know there's a huge hip hop industry in Cork and Gary McCarthy and, and a few others but Gary in particular have, have drawn it out and made a just, just brought it I suppose international claim at this stage. Was it through that you got involved? Yeah so um, it would have been through uh, the Cabin Studio so basically the Cabin Studio is um, a non-profit that it's a creative space and it's a hub basically for young people in the city who wants to engage in various aspects. So if it's all musical content creation and video content creation and also even horticulture. So we pretty much do a lot in the cabin studio at the moment. Mm. But um, yeah, and there's a thriving scene in Cork at the moment when in, in terms of hip-hop. And, you can even study and, it now at UCC for goodness sake. Like it's, it's a really big, really big thing. Yeah, um, absolutely enormous. Um, that's the only word I can come to think when, it come, when I'm describing it. Mm. But um, yeah, so just more on Throne Shapes. It's it's basically generally, it's generously supported by Graffiti Theatre, Music Generation Cork City, Music Generation, the Arts Office, the Arts Council, Cork Midsummer Festival and other supporting bodies. So essentially the support we've received is really immense in, in terms of Throne Shapes alone. And um, the day in itself, uh, basically, Throne Shapes is a premiere of Throne Shapes, but it's also a premiere of so many other things um, that's got to do with the cabin studio. Mm. So there'll be a a variety of videos being shown. Uh, My student film will be shown, but I'm not really going to brag too much about that because it's, it's really a celebration of everything cabin studio related tell, tell, tell us about your film though I mean you've got a film coming out at this thing so it's, it's called Eye of the Beholder tell me about it 
Yeah, so Eye of the Beholder is a short film that I've submitted for college. So it's a student film essentially this year. And it's a perseverance story, really, about a painter who becomes visually impaired and has to embark on a challenge of painting a portrait of his wife from while being visually impaired, essentially. Wow. Okay, that's that. It's it's a that that's interesting. So all all happens Wednesday evening at the gate. Are there tickets still available? Half six at Wednesday. Yeah, so people can get tickets via the gate website. Um, so there's there's limited tickets there at the moment, but I'd highly encourage anyone if they have the time to go and do so and book your tickets um, via the gate website. And grab one, why not? Because there's great artistry that's going on mm. currently at the moment. Mishnah will be there as well, the women's group. Yeah, they're, they're, they're brilliant. Their videos yeah. were fabulous. So, yeah, just to, to speak more on that, there'll also be a showcase of Mishnah. So um, that's the, basically the, the female group. So it, it's basically three music videos from a group of six female teens that address a variety of topics around female empowerment. There's also going to be um, a music video from MC Tiny. Many people yeah. may know MC Tiny from the Toy Show years back. Ah, He's a talent really star, beyond his years. yeah. Absolute star, and there's also a few other videos. One video, for example, is called Teach Love. It's an amazing video for the Abjad Initiative for Education in Syria. It's music written by members of the Cabin Studio via Musical Neighborhoods and Club Beyond. I'd highly recommend go check out. Check out the social media for Musical Neighbors at Club Beyond. Some really exciting projects going on there. And also, um, there's a very heartwarming video titled Got Your Back from Cara and Coben, two young participants in the cabin studio who wrote a song about the love and relationship between siblings. And the track actually samples their dad, who, like how amazing is this and the yes. stuff we're getting up to. The track samples their dad, who was also a musician who passed away recently. I remember talking to them, yeah. yeah. And, and basically, there was an event, there, there was an event, essentially, um, there was an event actually that went on forum called Music Heals. So if anyone can type Music Heals Ireland, if you're interested in purchasing an album yeah. of the music to hair tracks such as Karen Coben's, yeah. all the profits will go towards yeah, we, the Cabin Studio, brilliant. the Light Centre. We, we, we had them on actually a couple of weeks talk, talking about that. Alex, I'm going to go because I've got that breaking story coming in, but thank you very much and good luck with everything on Wednesday night at the Gate Cinema. Back to Patrick Murphy who we had earlier on today uh, talking about the fishing and the French military exercises due to, due to happen off our coast due to start this week and obviously people are very concerned and worried about that. Patrick Murphy is back with me. Patrick, there's been a development. There has and not for the better and I'll, I'll just call it out very quickly. Sure. Marine notice number 38 of 2022 notice to all ship owners fishing vessel owners, agents, shipmasters, skippers, fishers, yachtmen and seafarers. The only one they left out was the Marine Institute, the Celtic Explorer, who are doing um, surveys in that area at this moment. And would you believe it, they're after bringing forward the French military exercises to start at 2 o'clock in the morning on the 20th. That's like 2 o'clock tomorrow morning? Absolutely. This is absolutely unbelievable. For this to come out from our um, Department of Transport and nothing with it, um, when we have marine survey vessels outside there, with no notice of this, 
this is absolutely deplorable now. And if this is the way that uh, we're going to be treated in the marine environment, and, and that the same people are calling for protection for marine uh, protected areas, it, it flies in the face. It's just not good enough. And somebody should have to answer for this. Um, you know, this is this is crazy. And this literally came through since we were talking earlier. You, we all thought this was to start Thursday. It's yep. going to start in the early hours of tomorrow morning, despite everything you've been saying about the dangers to wildlife, the danger to the sea, everything. Yeah, and and you can you imagine now why this has been pushed ahead? You can imagine now the um, arrangements that would go into an exercise like this to change this and bring it forward is no small task. Yeah. You know, so like for this to happen now, this is a direct result, we believe, of us raising this issue okay. and highlighting this issue. And this is the response we get from the Department Patrick, of, of Marine. I'm out of time, but it's something I'm sure we will come back to. Thank you for that. That's an update. That very controversial French naval exercise starting in the early hours of tomorrow morning now, rather than. Uh, later in the week. That's it. Uh, there'll be more on that, I assume, in the news during the day. We'll be back to it, if necessary, in the morning. That's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.